0: of those scenarios, when we walk the client through the different funding options and the correlating uh, performance results with each option, the client really starts to understand, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. I, this is starting to all make sense.
1: Hey, everybody, this is David Chudick here, Certified Financial Planner with Parallel Financial. Uh, Today, we're speaking with Mark Chesson, and he is just an encyclopedia of advanced life insurance knowledge. What most people don't understand is what a valuable tool life insurance can be as part of your overall financial plan. So we hope that you enjoy this episode, and please make sure to check out our new website, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with Certified Financial Planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to, uh, to help you to build wealth. And today we have one of the partners in our firm, Mark Chesson, and we're going to talk about some... Some things you may not have known or may not know about life insurance and what it can do and some advanced uses of it, so hey Mark, how are you doing? Uh, tell, me, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself. I see some football helmets uh, behind you in your in your case.
0: Hey, David, how are you? Appreciate right. you allowing me to come on today.
1: Sure, sure. Any Any big um, plans for the Labor Day weekend?
0: You know we're actually going to stay right here um, we, uh, We've got young kids, and you know now that school started. We're gonna enjoy some peace and quiet around Raleigh, and um, just kind of hunker down and regroup and gear up for post Labor Day. How about you?
1: So, uh, yeah, there's some soccer, there's some tennis, there's probably a little bit of work catching up, and we just moved, so there's uh, still some honeydew lists. So, you know, it it never ends. There's always well, you know, a lot they
0: they say the longer you can you can last each task on your honeydew list, the lo- the less long it gets. So.
1: Yeah, that doesn't work that way in my house. The longer, yeah, the longer you can prolong it, the more nagging you get in my house, but that's okay because it needs to be done. So uh, so yeah, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, you've been, you've been doing some pretty cool stuff in, in the life insurance business for a good while. So tell me how you got started.
0: Well, I got started uh, when I, I graduated from Texas Christian University um, with a finance and accounting major and um, My dad has been in the business uh, since he finished his football career. He finished his football career back in the early to mid-70s. And at that point in time, they didn't make the money that professional athletes make today. And so during the offseason, everyone went and made money and then came back. And, you know, they trained while they did it. But um, that's what made insurance such an attractive field for someone because they could control their own schedule um, and allow them to work out in the off season, but make some, uh, some additional revenue that they needed because they weren't making much money playing football.
1: So who did he play for?
0: He played for Atlanta and Philadelphia.
1: Really? And what, what, what positions did he play?
0: He was a wide receiver.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Well, that's so um, he was drafted by Atlanta in 71, so out of university.
1: So, what does he think about all the concussion uh, protocol now? Because I suspect back then, you didn't come out of the game if you if you uh, hit your head. You you had to stay in and man up, didn't it? Was it different? You you
0: didn't. They just thought you had some cobwebs, and the best way to solve those was to get right back out there. Um, It's a major problem. I don't think he is interested. I think he would actually incentivize his. He's got three grandsons, and I think he would incentivize them not to play football.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, It's a shame, but. You know, even though the NFL and the college game is trying to do everything they can to reduce concussion risk and, you know, all the protocols in place, you know, unfortunately, with the players getting bigger and faster and stronger every year, I mean, you've got now you've got, you know, 330, 40 pound linemen that run a, you know, a 5.040. And so it's just a tough, it's a tough um, battle to fight for them. But it's just a, the nature of the game. Um, it's such a physical game. But even today, you know, um, we do a lot of uh, professional athletes. And, you know, some of our soccer players are, are experiencing severe concussion um, issues. So it's not just with football. I think it's all sports today as I think we've become much more efficient in our training. Oh yeah. And so because of that, uh, we're much better at that sport and the unfortunately that that can cause some injuries to the opponent or ourselves while we're playing that sport but it's an interesting conundrum that the NFL has and I think participation at the youth level is down severely. I think yeah. that's also why you see maybe the game of lacrosse picking up some
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit more speed. protection. I know, you know, we're we're not right near near Clemson and when you go to a Clemson game and you go on the field afterwards and you stand next to these players, I mean, they are gigantic. You know, and just the force that they could impart is just – it's unimaginable. And, and, yes, their bodies are stronger, but I don't think their brains are. So, you know, I, don't, I think a human brain is, is – doesn't matter how big you are, it's still a very delicate organ for sure. I you know,
0: being from the Clemson area, I'm sure you or, or a lot of your clients are Panther fans. Sure. Um, you know, you, you look at Luke Kuechly. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I think for him, he retired. I hope it was early enough. You know, he experienced so many concussion issues during his career. He was a phenomenal player and man, so, so much fun to watch. If, if there's ever a player that has left it all on the field, it's Luke Keekley. And um, I'm afraid he's going to have some, some major obstacles to fight later in life. But yeah,
1: no question. No question. We'll just have to it. see. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking so life insurance talking today. And um, what most people think when they think of life insurance is, hey, maybe I have this policy through work, and and if something happens to me, my family would be taken care of. Or maybe, you know, maybe they went to their car insurance agent and they said, well, you no, know, you're 25 and you have a new baby. Why don't we get you this 20-year term? And even though you don't know what a 20-year term is, you're going to pay 20 or 30 dollars a month. And if God forbid something happens to you, there'd be three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars that your family could spend. To maintain their lifestyle and that's a great great thing and great peace of mind but today we're going to talk about some different uses of life insurance and and you know maybe for some higher net worth people like you said pro athletes and so on and so forth so uh so take us through one scenario where life insurance is used not specifically just so maybe if a young parent didn't make it home their um you know their family would be able to keep the house
0: well in the in the upper net worth arena the uh, the affluent families in our country and around the world no one has utilized life insurance more efficiently to protect and transfer wealth more than that class of people the ultra affluent utilize life insurance better and more often than anyone
1: so what does utilize life insurance better and efficient mean
0: well it means that they see the value in the protection piece, the conservative nature of the of the uh, products, as well as they see the tax efficiencies associated with each of those products. Depending on how a family office is looking to utilize a product, we can create tax advantages at death or tax advantages through cash value buildup and tax-free distributions down the road. And so, High net worth individuals, whenever they look at a financial instrument, the one thing that they look at is the risk tolerance. And they take that risk tolerance in life insurance. It's very low, right? That's one of the attractive natures of a life insurance contract.
1: But what if a life insurance company goes under? I mean, can that happen? Do life insurance companies ever lose their ability to pay claims or can you lose your cash value because a company is not financially sound?
0: It's very rare and has not happened in the past 20 or 30 years that a insurance company has gone insolvent. In the event that that does take place, what has happened in the past and what would happen in the future is the industry would take over that carrier's book of business to make sure that those obligations are met that that carrier had on the books. And so even why you might say man, this is a competitive carrier. Why would they care if XYZ carrier went out of business? Well, if they understand that if there's any carrier on the street that does not meet their obligations, it would be extremely detrimental to any carrier out there. The products that we are selling are long-term financial decisions. And if at any point the prospective client has doubt that the carrier will be there to meet those obligations when it 's their time to be at the table then then that 's a huge problem and so carriers in the past have provided that financial security in the event a carrier does does go insolvent, but that's a great question
1: so getting back to to the efficiency of of transferring wealth, are you talking about just having having heirs inherit money? Uh, are you talking about putting additional monies into a policy so there could be more transferred tax-free or what, what does that actually mean
0: well I think when you look at these families that have a large amount of accumulated wealth they face a huge obstacle when they are above the overall estate tax exemption and then also know above that exemption amount which is now about just just around 23 million anything over that, they're going to be taxed significantly on that wealth transfer when the patriarch dies. And so in the event that family wants to keep a business, in the event that family wants to keep a vacation home or a piece of property, planning needs to occur, or they need to go ahead and have funds set aside to meet those tax liabilities in the event the patriarch were to pass away. So what high net worth families have done, in essence, is prepaying that estate tax. They know Uncle Sam is going to come calling. It's just for what amount, which we don't know right now, right? The exemption is going to change. Under the Barack Obama administration, the exemption was about $11 million. Um, With the uh, Jobs Tax Act that Donald Trump passed, it went to $23 million. And when we're looking at the election in front of us in two months, there's a lot of debate about where that exemption will go and where the tax rate will go above that exemption. Um, I'm I'm in the belief regardless of who wins in November, that with the amount of debt that our country continues to compile, I'm under the opinion regardless of what party takes the White House or the Senate or the House, we're going to have to increase taxes across the board.
1: Can't we just print more money, though? That seems like a much easier. (laughs) Boy, we've gotten pretty good at that. Absolutely, yeah.
0: We've definitely shown that we have the ability to print money. Um, But I I think you're going to see families adjust as new taxation, new tax law comes down the pipe. Um, They're going to adjust and uh, adjust their planning as well to how you will utilize life insurance in the overall strategy of paying the estate tax that will be owed on that patriarch's death.
1: Now, during history, what's kind of a low range of what the exemption number has been? And maybe you can even just clarify the definition of, the, of, of exemption. Um, um, and then, um, you know, what's, is 23 million the highest that it, that it's ever been?
0: I believe so. I believe 23 million is the highest. But let's use, for better numbers, let's, let's say the exemption is $10 million. Okay. And, and, David, you were to pass away, and your family, your estate has an 8 or $9 million value to it. Okay? Sure. Well,
1: now, is that counting you, the value of my office? Is that counting the value? I mean, that sounds like a lot of money, but when you add everything in, maybe more people than you think are approaching that number, Right.
0: Yeah, you know it's still a lot of money. Um, it's still it's still a it's still a large sum of money. All of those questions about do you include office buildings, what assets are included in that calculation, it really just depends on the ownership and what planning has been has been done prior. But for simplistic purposes, say you have an estate of about nine million dollars, and the exemption is ten million dollars. Sure. Well, in that scenario, you could pass on your wealth right, below that exemption of $10 million, and you could pass that wealth on. In the event, and you would not have to pay on that, on that um, transfer. In the event you had a $12 million net worth, and we've got a $10 million exemption, then it might make sense for your family, David, to look at around $2, 3000000 million of death benefit protection. So in the event something happens to you, a portion of that death benefit would go to help pay the estate tax that your estate would endure at death. And so that's really why it's so critical when you talk about is $10 million a significant amount of money or not. It's a significant amount of money. We all know people with that much money. If you take that 10 million to 23 million, that's a big difference. And so I think when people, as as our clients and as families around the country, start to feel the squeeze and the need for our government to increase tax, I think you're going to see um, life insurance be a very attractive vehicle for families uh, to create and provide planning.
1: And I've worked with clients and, and- I've I've worked with a few and you get to the point where maybe they're a little bit too old or maybe they have some some health issues to where they might not be able to qualify. So do you agree that you know looking that at this as early as possible is a good idea because life insurance, you know, it is an underwritten product and and you and I represent many many companies and some have different tolerances for different health conditions, but there does come a point where you just simply might not be eligible from a health standpoint, correct?
0: That's correct. You know, um, you know. Unfortunately, our health is a main indicator in the overall cost of a life insurance contract. The best time to buy life insurance, David, is right before you're going to have a health event. Uh, the The answer to that question is, you know, you 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 can't buy life insurance when you're not insurable, or if you wait until you are a a a more unhealthy individual, it's just going to cost you more. So it's a give and take, it's a risk that we all have if we don't have life insurance to that amount. When what I like to tell David with that question is if you have a younger couple sitting in front of you and you got a growing business, that patriarch, the the the, the male or the female of that family that has has a business that is growing and they feel like they're going to have an estate issue. And you want to protect yourself against that unknown health change that we all are gonna deal with in some time in our life, the one thing to do that is to get a fully convertible term coverage policy. And so that term coverage protects your insurability. I always tell people with term coverage, we have examined you, we've had lab work drawn, and the carrier is going to charge you X amount of dollars for a certain duration period of time of coverage, whether it's a 10-year term, a 20-year term. Well, rather than looking at that 20, if you're talking to a 40-year-old, well, the odds of that 40-year-old passing away in the next 20 years are fairly low, which is evident on the price that the insurance carrier charges for that 20-year term. What is a higher taking place is that 40-year-old could have a health change over the next 20 years. Maybe it's a small health change that would just increase the overall cost. Maybe it's a significant health change where the insured is no longer insurable. If we have that convertible term policy in place, we in essence have developed a put against the insurance carrier based on our health at issuance. So while it does provide death benefit protection for the family, the residual value is it also, it is protecting or ensuring your insurability at the same time.
1: So if we look at it this way, so let's say Mark is 40 and Mark, and I'm just going to make up numbers, but they're probably pretty accurate. Maybe Mark gets a th- a million dollar term policy and maybe he gets a preferred rate and it might be what, 50, 60, $70 a month, you know, maybe. Yeah. Okay, no, right. Yeah. So now at age 58, like many 58 year olds, Mark has some relatively significant health problems 18 years later. Um, so you're telling me Mark can just turn that into a, uh, or if he had the right type of a policy, he could turn that into a permanent policy and still keep the low rating, even though he now has a, a, a significant illness?
0: That's correct. Wow. If you have the right type of product, um, you can create you can convert that coverage without proof of insurability to any product, any permanent product that that issuing carrier of the term policy offers. So if you've got got a Pacific life term policy and at the end of your term period, you're no longer insurable, you could convert that policy based on your underwriting day one without proof of insurability.
1: Yeah. So most people probably don't even realize how huge that is because our health can change a lot in 20 years, especially between. Oh, it's 20 unbelievable.
0: Years. And you talk to some people that David, the reason why you got to know what you're buying is you talk to some people that have a 20 year term product. But when you look at it, it's only convertible for 10 years or for five years. Right. And so that has changed when, when the government passed Dodd-Frank, right? The bill to increase bank's solvency and uh, reserve requirements and what we allow them to invest in. Dodd-Frank put a lot of pressure on insurance carriers from a reserve standpoint, and therefore that increasing cost that they had to put aside for that term coverage was passed on directly to the consumer. And so it, 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 it helps protect you in the event you have that change in health, but 18 years from now or 20 years from now, your business has grown, your family has grown, you're in significant need of life insurance, but you're uninsurable. And all of a sudden, that put, that option, that conversion privilege that you have against the carrier is extremely valuable. Right. And that does you could be in hospice and the doctors could say, he's got two months left to live and it could still be convertible. And that's power. That's, that really is a powerful opportunity and the cost that carriers charge for that term coverage to me is the most, you know, it, it is the most affordable asset that every individual should have on their books. If you have anyone that you are financially responsible for now or in the future, at minimum, you should have term coverage. One thing that's sad, David, is I see some people that have, that have made the, the right decision. They're a loving mother or father, and because of that, they have engaged in a life insurance contract, and they might be putting $5,000, $10,000 aside a year in a life insurance policy. Well, that permanent policy, that whole life contract today, while they're putting $10,000 a year in, might only have a four hundred dollars or $500,000 death benefit. And it'll grow in the later stages. But but when, when you have a young family and you're, we're in the highest expense period of our life, right? We've got kids, we've got a lot of people that we're responsible for. It's so important to have that large death benefit that in the rare chance it pays out, it is important to spend that five, $600 on a million dollars of coverage when I see somebody that's spending five or ten thousand dollars on a permanent policy, but doesn't have term coverage to protect the family on the backside, it's it's a sad day.
1: Well, and so. I think you have to look at the purpose of life insurance at that point in life. When you're 22 and have a baby, you know, I mean, yeah, a big a big cash value policy would be great if you could afford it. But really, honestly, fifty or sixty or seventy or eighty dollars a month would get you a huge term policy that does the job. And then later that's on correct. in life, when you're looking at maybe accumulation, you're almost trying to buy the least amount of insurance with the most amount of money.
0: That's correct. Mm-hmm. And that's even at a younger age, if you're putting aside that those funds, even if you're putting away thirty or $40,000 a year to increase cash value for deferred compensation and tax-free buildup, if that policy is properly designed to benefit the insured rather than the carrier, they should use those funds and back into the minimum non-MEC death benefit, which is, as you said, the lowest death benefit possible while still maintaining the tax advantages associated with the life insurance contract. So you can still do that and put 40 or $50,000 in the year to gain cash value buildup. But on the backside, while you have properly designed, hopefully you've worked with someone that has properly designed that permanent coverage on the backside, side, you still need to have that term policy that's costing you five or six hundred dollars a year. It's not very sexy. It sits on the shelf, but it will provide that again death benefit protection in the event it's needed.
1: Right. So one one policy's purpose is to provide death benefit. The others is to to uh, provide cash value that you could live off of or take distributions. So if I've accumulated a pretty large. Uh, cash value within my policy and people use whole life kind of as a generic term. And maybe I can ask you a little bit about whole life versus the other types of permanent life. Do I just call my agents and say, Hey, my my cash value has a hundred thousand dollars. I need to buy a car for $30,000. Send me a check. Uh, Is it that simple? Do I have to die? I don't have to get die to get the money. Right. So how does that work?
0: No, it really is that simple. Um, Depending on what type of contract you have, um, the three, you know, types of permanent policies, right? You have whole life, you have variable life, and you have universal life. Inside the universal life, we have plain vanilla UL, we have indexed UL. But all of those policies, depending on the insured, their financial situation, and what their overall objectives, objectives are, they all play a key part. But The, I really prefer the universal life structure. It provides much more flexibility for the client. And it also is a little easier and more transparent to draw funds from. So, but they're all great, but yes, it's that easy. Um, You know, what you just described, David was, you know, in essence, quote unquote, the infinite banking strategy. Put enough dollars into a life insurance contract where, You become your own bank. If you want to buy a car and that car costs $80,000, borrow $80,000, interest and tax free from your policy, go buy the car and be diligent in repaying yourself on a monthly basis, interest and tax free. So rather than going to get the GMAC $80,000 loan, that might be great. It might only be charging you 3% or it might give you 24 months interest-free but utilize the funds in a properly designed life insurance contract to be your own bank and if you're diligent about paying yourself back it can be one of the greatest assets you have in your books at retirement sure
1: now i like the term that you use properly designed life insurance contract uh, universal life is very complicated if, if your agent uh, either it doesn't know what they're doing or or doesn't design it right. Because it's very simple. If I wanted a million dollars of universal policy uh, of coverage, uh, two agents can give me significantly different prices, but it depends on what the policy is designed to do, right? Is it designed to, to accumulate cash value? Is it designed to 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 just have a permanent death benefit? So it's not just that simple of hey, policy A costs less than call it policy B because they may be very, very different in their designs.
0: Yeah, yeah it really is amazing um, how, depending on the issued process, how a product looks and how it performs today and in the future. Um, not only does it matter as far as the death benefit and premium amount, but it also matters on the funding design. Usually, if we're talking to a client about a universal life contract, I will show as much as six different funding designs, discuss each design with that client that takes into account their cash flow, their retirement age, how much they want to put in, the duration of their funding period. Do they want to fund it short? Do they want to fund it long? How much flexibility do they want? Uh, And all of those scenarios, when we walk the client through, the different funding options and the correlating uh, performance results with each option, the client really starts to understand, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. I, this is starting to all make sense. I think where people get very confused with a universal life contract is when the sale is dependent on an irrational performance on that product. And I think if you lay out and eliminate any type of uh, performance projection that is based on an inflated interest rate, all that does, it might make the sale. You're going to be regretting it in five to 10 years when that client comes back and says, hey, we looked at X happening. Why am I sitting here 10 years later and Y has happened? And so all of those things I think are why you have so many horror stories, David, in regards to the life insurance space. It is people's least least attractive asset using the, even calling it an asset. I don't think 99% of people would do that because their experience with life insurance has been so poor, they would never use the word asset. That's a positive term on something. And so I think all of those reasons and the upfront design nature have huge impacts on the future performance and the value add to the client.
1: But I think one of the main takeaways is that if you're looking at permanent life insurance, universal life insurance, you really need to know what you're doing and you need to have a good financial advisor who has a a very strong underlying knowledge and unbiased, uh, unbiased approach for sure. So do you work for, or do you and I, do we represent any one company? Do we have any reason to kind of push one, one carrier to anybody else or, um, How would you, how do you go about finding the best policy for our clients?
0: Well, I'll say we work for our clients and so we have zero loyalty. And I would say this if a carrier rep was sitting across from me, because they would have worked with us long enough to know this is true. We have zero loyalty to any carrier. Our loyalty is to our client. And depending on carrier underwriting and carrier product offering, that directs which direction we go. And having that is what's so crucial. Having that true independent philosophy is what is so crucial to the client getting the best possible end result. I'll use this as an example. I'm underwriting right now a 48 year old, and that individual, he's fairly healthy. Uh, he's kind of a little bit of a hypochondriac. He's got a lot of records, a lot of sleep studies that he's done, but overall, he doesn't really have any impactful impairments. Well, we've gotten table B's, table C's, we've gotten some postpones on him. Well, yesterday we received a preferred plus offer on him. And so that is a dramatic difference in what some of our main carriers are rating him at a B or a C. Well, why that is so important is on average with our carriers, the difference in an underwriting class from a premium standpoint, averages about 17% from one class to another. And so when you go to somebody and they represent Pacific Life or John Hancock, and that's who they're pitching you to, and that's who they're going to underwrite you with, that's what they're suggesting you go with, well, the problem is they better hope that one carrier comes back with an accurate underwriting offer or you're in trouble. On the flip side, we're looking for actually an inaccurate underwriting offer. Sure. We want an outlying offer. We're not asking, we don't want carriers to all be in line. We want one carrier to offer us a rating that we think is way too attractive based on the insured's overall health, and that's when we have a real winning solution.
1: So what is your your process if, if, um, if there were someone that was interested in you know, they may qualify as, as you know, the high net worth, like you discussed, or even maybe on a lower level than that. But it was someone who definitely has some planning needs and has the means to take care of the planning needs. What's the process? Because this, this seems like it could get overwhelming.
0: We try to make it very fluid and simple for the client. Once we engage a client and they are willing to move forward, not obligate them to do anything but willing to move forward in the underwriting process. We have that client complete what we call our client profile and our HIPAA form. And that is two pages front and back, gives us some personal information, gives us some lifestyle questions, medical information, but it also provides us the HIPAA compliance that we need in order to underwrite you. At that point, we go out and contact depending on age, and target product that we're going after, we will underwrite you from anywhere from 10 to 20 different carriers. We get back what is called, David, informal underwriting opinions from all of our underwriters at these carriers. And with that, it is an informal opinion, and once we formally apply, that informal opinion will become a formal underwriting offer. What that gives us the opportunity to do is rather than formally apply with 15 or 20 carriers and having that insured sign 15 to 20 applications and take an hour doing that, we're able to get those informal underwriting opinions and then target the carrier that best suits us. Or if we have two outlying offers, but there's still room for improvement with with those two outlying offers. We'll go to them and have them sharpen their pencil and figure out who wants to win the business.
1: Wow! Yeah, so so bidding and and competition is always a good thing for business, for sure.
0: It definitely puts the client in control and puts the client in the best position uh, to receive the best results.
1: Well, this has been fascinating, and it's really a topic that I've dealt with a lot in my career. Um, I've 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 heard some people say, "Well, I don't believe in life insurance." And I think the, um, the the real answer is, or the real question is that, do you believe in paying for it? Because I don't think you're going to turn it down when it comes to you. So uh, I think life insurance is an emotional topic because it does make us contemplate the fact that, uh, you know, none of us are going to be around forever and it makes us answer some questions you know maybe a little bit earlier than we might want as far as where their assets go and would probably even spur on some more estate planning questions but it's all this stuff that needs to be done now as opposed to later uh, when, when you know health or cognitive ability may decline so it's it's, uh, it's super important so just to kind of close it out did you have any any thoughts on on uh, on on the industry, on life insurance in general, or on some of the uh, uses of life insurance.
0: Well, I would go back to. Um, I fully understand. Uh, you know, I tell tell people all the time. I'm so happy for used car salesmen because if it wasn't for them, I'd be on the bottom of the food chain as a life insurance agent. I would encourage people while you While you have heard horror stories about life insurance products not performing or not providing what was sold i would I would encourage them to meet with a financial advisor, discuss it because i I promise them it can be one of the greatest performing assets in their portfolio and if you analyze that asset from an irr standpoint, it will perform along the other investments in your portfolio and so All of those things, I think it's really our responsibility. I spend so much time really telling the life insurance story and that I would encourage people, work with someone that works for you. Don't work for someone that works for the company you're buying something from. Work work with someone that works for you and is selling you something that that a company produces, but that person does not work for that company and where is their loyalty? And 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 that to me, I want to get in bed. I want to be in that foxhole with someone that's on my team, that's going to be there for me. And I have faith that they're putting me in the best position, not a company or carrier out there.
1: Well, and that's the fiduciary responsibility that you know. I even as a CFP my my sworn oath is to put the client's needs ahead of mine ahead of carriers ahead of any anything else so uh so that is hugely important so
0: it is and that's the benefit of working with a cfp david it, it it really is absolutely
1: well good deal well i appreciate this is just fascinating for me and and i know that um, we, we could probably, we're two life insurance geeks and we're financial geeks. So we could probably talk about this until until the Labor Day cookout on Monday, but we, we certainly can't do that. Anybody out there who feels like uh, they'd like to learn more about some advanced uses of life insurance and, and, and use it as a part of their financial plan. There's no one tool that's ever an entire financial plan, but there are many financial instruments that deserve to be part of your plan. Uh, email me, david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. We wish everybody a blessed weekend. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completeness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.